0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the program. Always an honor to sit in for Jim. Absolute delight to be a part of the biggest and most important show in our industry. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. We appreciate the company on another busy day with news percolating across the world of sports. But as always, we'll carve out time to get interactive with you. Record-setting program for yours truly because I know you need the metrics of the fill-in hack. We took three phone calls yesterday. I've hit my quota for the entire summer. Let's keep it going. I'm a telemarketer. Did you know you have an issue with your warranty? Give me a call at 1-800-636-8686. Email's always a good option. That's RomanHaveATake.com. Your tweets will be read selectively in 20 minutes B W Weber, Weber with two Bs, gonna follow what I believe is a winning blueprint with only one guest per hour. In 40 minutes, we take you across the NFL with a veteran football journalist. That's Bob Glauber, football columnist for New York Newsday. Bob has been covering the league for decades. We'll get his perspective on. Is the league going to appeal to the Sean Watson suspension? A reminder, they have to make that decision prior to a deadline of 9 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, plus the fallout from tampering gate That wasn't tanking gate in Miami that dominated the program yesterday. We'll follow that up in the second hour with an attempt to get creative. Fred Siegel, not the clothing icon here in Los Angeles, where it would cost you $400 to get a T-shirt, Fred Siegel runs Old Takes Exposed, a terrific Twitter feed digging up terrible observations from those of us who get paid to clutch the microphone. He's got a new book, Freezing Cold Takes NFL, so we'll go through the Mount Rushmore of the all-time worst predictions in the world of football. Final hour. In addition to what I'm going to do now and throughout the program, we will reflect on the passing of the greatest and most accomplished play-by-play announcer of them all. We lost Vince Scully last night. What a rich and wonderful life he lived. We'll talk about that, plus the blockbuster that occurred five minutes prior to airtime yesterday. Juan Soto has been liberated from our nation's capital. He's going to San Diego. That's where Scott Miller is based. Scott does a terrific job as a contributor to the New York Times, and you hear him on Sirius XM radio. So, quick footnote to yesterday's program, because Garrett Rittenau has moved over to be our technical producer. Game on. I know we're on TV. I can see me in this tight jacket. It was a good idea, probably not so great on TV, but the pocket square really evens things out. We may not be on radio, but I was so loud yesterday, so energized by the breaking news, I didn't need the microphone nor a transmitter. So we'll hope that Ritz is pushing the right buttons it? and Tom is here. Maybe that's why I am a like We have a competent so producer going to get me where I need to go because we have the real possibility of a similar scenario As what we hit upon yesterday, I mentioned that deadline is looming for the NFL. In my opinion, they should, and secondly, they have to, appeal the six-game suspension that was handed down by the former federal judge, Sue Robinson, on Monday to Deshaun Watson. I'll talk about the rationale for that coming up. If you're the NFL, do you make that decision tomorrow tomorrow? you got to do it before 9 a.m. Eastern time. Wouldn't that take away from what the NFL is trying to create as an unofficial holiday? It's back to football. Look, it's a meaningless exhibition, but it's a Hall of Fame game, which will generate a monster TV rating because it's football on national TV. We'll talk about the pros and cons of that. I want to start with a quick observation on the passing of Vince Scully. We're going to go in-depth as to what he meant to baseball, what he meant to the entire region that I am located in here in Southern California, and the way he forever changed our industry. If Jim was here, I think Jim might start the show talking about Mr. Scully for reasons that are very logical. Jim, a native Southern Californian. Jim grew up like millions did listening to Vin on the radio. Jim's in the Hall of Fame. So was Mr. Scully. While I have a outsized sense of my abilities, even though I was called intolerable yesterday, which not the worst word or adjective I've heard over the years, I was reminded when I was younger and even more unctuous on a Big Word Wednesday, a columnist in San Francisco once called me insufferably arrogant. And when I confronted him on that, he changed it to the glib youngster which might have been a step up, but I'm not Jim Rome. I don't have the experience that Jim does, the personal interaction with Mr. Scully. I do have a Vin Scully story I'll share. Coincidentally, this is not important, but it is a wrinkle. We went to the same high school, Fordham Prep, in the Bronx, and Mr. Scully also went to Fordham University. So we lost a giant yesterday. The... Career, path, and achievements of Vin Scully will never be matched. 67 years with the Dodgers. He worked alone for the majority of those thousands of broadcasts on radio and television. You saw him on network coverage of baseball, football, and golf. We'll talk about the passing of a broadcast icon coming up in 15 minutes, in addition to more of the fallout from... Juan Soto making the move from D.C. to San Diego. If you yesterday were a little bit satiated, you were full of the Sean Watson talk, I can understand the pushback. And I do read your tweets. I don't respond to all of them. And Twitter is not the real world. But if you are nice enough to give me more than seven minutes, 12 minutes, the radio world tells us people are in and out of the car, especially during the summer months. If you're with me for three hours, I understand. If I'm hitting on two or three topics repeatedly, it might be redundant. At the same time, news has to drive the program in addition to having all the fun we can have along the way. So I gave more thought to the Deshaun Watson situation beyond what I hopefully articulated in a Rational fashion over the course of three hours yesterday. So thinking more about what former federal judge Sue Robinson laid out in her decision. The phrase we keep going back to is nonviolent sexual behavior. It gets complicated here, though, because if you read the whole document, and I did, you also see words like sexual assault. But that's not directly in the same vicinity as Deshaun Watson, she's talking about precedent. So the phrase she uses repeatedly, and I think with intent, is nonviolent sexual behavior. And because she's a judge, a former judge, and she wants to follow the dictates of the letter of the personal conduct policy coupled with precedent, the precedent she found for nonviolent sexual behavior was Jameis Winston. Remember that horrendous decision as Jameis made many of them early in his career. To his credit, seems like now he has matured. But that night that he allegedly, no criminal charges were filed, but from an NFL standpoint, he was guilty of violating the personal conduct policy, a night in which he groped an Uber driver, he got a three-game suspension, and that was the result of a negotiated settlement between the league and the NFLPA. Well, if we're just talking precedent, and remember, I know this gets confusing because we're well aware the 24 lawsuits were filed against Sean Watson. 66 different women allegedly contacted by Watson. That based on the reporting from the New York Times. All women, all through social media, instead of working through more established protocols like the Texans or having one massage therapist like most professional athletes do, they're very particular about their bodies. After all, that's how they make all that money and realize their dreams. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Room. You can be a part of the program coming up in 10 minutes. 1-800-636-8686. Your tweet's on the way. That is B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. In 30 minutes, we take you across the NFL with Bob Glauber, football columnist for New York Newsday. But if the precedent is three games for nonviolent sexual behavior, and that's the key phrase, non-violent. And we can talk about, do the allegations that have been levied against Winston rise to the level of violence? But if it's nonviolent sexual behavior for Winston with one victim, and let me just say, with no pausing, no hedging, one victim is one victim too many. But unfortunately, with the sliding scale of NFL discipline, we have to come up with these comparisons. Well, in terms of the details of the Watson case, four accusers participated in this disciplinary process. And think about the courage it took those four women to relive one of the most horrific days of their life. And I applaud their bravery and their quest to get a degree of discipline. That will be meted out to Watson, whether it's a six-game suspension or a full year, because they have not gotten any relief in the criminal justice system. Watson, you'll recall, faced two grand juries in Texas, neither handed up an indictment. But for those four women, if we have four accusers and the judge said that she rejected Watson's categorical denial of the allegations, meaning... She didn't think he was telling the truth. In plain English, he was lying. So we have four accusers that we believe are telling the truth. Well, if Winston is three games for one victim, and we have four victims within the scope of the NFL investigation, shouldn't that be 12 games at a minimum? And I know this seems crass. It looks like I'm just doing arithmetic, and we're talking about people's lives here. But six games is way too low. And I mentioned that the judge in her finding rejected the denial of Watson. She didn't believe him. The other thing that stood out to me, Judge Robinson wrote that Watson's conduct was a danger to the safety of others. So I realize if she's using that baseline of nonviolence, I understand she's being very precise. But if he was a danger to the safety of others, isn't that enough for Goodell to step in, whether he does it himself or have a surrogate, a designee, and don't you believe that whomever Roger taps on the shoulder at 345 Park Avenue in New York City is going to follow what the league and the commissioner want to happen. This has to be, in my opinion, bumped up to a minimum of 12 games, and I would endorse a full season. We'll find out what the league's going to do. We'll be on alert. I have my good eye on the television The one TV. I telling my grandfather. Can you turn down the TV? I'm trying to do a radio show here. But if I see breaking news, I'll multitask. Let's link it to what we spent the majority of the program on yesterday because the news broke right around this time. And the headline was misleading. And thankfully, I had three hours to dissect what the league found the Dolphins guilty of. But the headline, because I was processing my thoughts in real time, was Dolphins Guilty of tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. They are docked the first-round pick next year, or third-round pick in 2024. And the owner, Stephen Ross, fined $1.5 bucks. And effectively, they didn't use the word suspended, but he can't go to his own facility, and he can't have any dealings with the team through October 17th. Well, we did some sleuthing on the air yesterday, and what do you know? The Sean Watson suspension ends... Following the sixth game, if it stands at six games, that is Sunday, October 16. What would be the first day that Watson, under the current suspension, would be allowed back in the facility? October 17th. When is Ross coming back? October 17th. So, I don't want to be the conspiracy theorist. I'm not looking for the smoking man. I don't believe in the yeti. Although, apparently, the Loch Ness Monster is a thing i spent my entire youth watching in search of and i couldn't understand why mr spock had a mustache but the great leonard Nimoy was not nimoy Nimoy would come out on tv and tell us we think this is noah's ark and after 28 minutes it was just a smudge on a satellite shot but i guess the loch ness monster is a thing and where's db cooper I think he was a guy in San Diego who passed away. So maybe I do have some conspiracy thoughts. But I'm just using my experience, guided by what intelligence I have left. Don't you think this is more than the coincidence that the league dropped this story yesterday with the sexy headline involving Tom Brady, to a lesser extent, Sean Payton? Oh, by the way, happy 45th birthday, Tom Brady. We'll get there coming up in the final hour of the program. How is he the one quarterback, arguably the one football player other than kickers? We don't care about them. I said that out loud. Kickers are people too. How does he get better as he gets older? We'll investigate. An investigation here from the newsroom coming up in the final hour of the program. But to me, this is clearly, and I used the phrase yesterday, another film reference as we come to you from the cinematic capital of the world, Southern California, this is a football version of Wag the Dog. Nothing to see here with Watson. League knowing that with the appeal deadline on Thursday, shows like this have a lot to discuss. And I would have spent even more time on Watson yesterday had this news from Miami not broke. And if we're going to line up the Watson penalty as it stands next to Stephen Ross, I mentioned the parallel, effectively six games. Well, the league can argue if they decide not to appeal the Watson suspension. And if they don't, here's the reason why they wouldn't do it. The optics. They don't want to be perceived as tone deaf for overruling a federal judge who had a month to consider all the evidence. She happens to be a woman. Just one other thing to process because I do think that is important. I'm not trying to have a gender bias analysis here, but it would seem a bit odd for Roger Goodell to come in and bigfoot a federal judge who spent years on the bench and old Raj never went to law school. And he got that job because he's a senator's son. So nepotism works as well. But if they line up Watson and Ross, six games, well, Ross can't go to the facility. Watson can. Watson can play in preseason games, as has been the case for anybody suspended for the regular season games. Ross got fined a million and a half bucks. Well, Watson, no fine technically, only going to miss the six game checks because the Browns wanted to shield his income. The $45 million that Watson is due this year was all shaped in the form of a signing bonus. I know there were cap reasons as well. But if Watson six six games, he's only going to miss 345 dollars So I think this is more than just a what do you know? I think the league dropped that story yesterday with intent. And we'll talk about this further coming up in the second hour of the program. What if Judge Sue L. Robinson had been tasked with coming up with her conclusions based on the league's investigation of the Dolphins? Don't you think she'd have come up with a much harsher penalty for this franchise? Because if you read... The words that were issued in the statement yesterday, if you understand the words come out of my mouth, the league came this close to saying the tanking proposal from Stephen Ross to Brian Flores, who's suing the league and the Dolphins, allegedly was offered $100,000 per loss to tank. The league said, well, there is no, and I'm paraphrasing here, definitive proof of that, that... The wording, timing, and context of that remark was viewed through different recollections because nobody else in that room wants to commit professional suicide by backing Brian Flores because if they told the truth, in my opinion, they have no career moving forward in the National Football League. So we'll talk more about if there was an independent arbiter, as we have in the Watson case, and this is the first time we've gone through the process – as a result of the new collective bargaining agreement, what would a former judge rule in the Dolphins case? I think the penalty would be a lot more significant, and I think that a fair-minded person could arrive at the conclusion the Dolphins clearly were engaged in a tanking scheme. I'll just wrap it up with more words from the NFL as I play Perry Mason on your radio and TV. I really should have gone to law school. The NFL found that Stephen Ross several times exposed his belief that draft positioning should take a priority over wins and losses. Thank you very much. I'm hoping there's no breaking news. I'm trying to do easy listening. Uncle Bry. we're playing the hits. Little Al Jarreau coming up, including, he could be online too. 1-800-636-8686. Your phone calls, part of the possibilities straight ahead. Your tweets definitely on the agenda. 1-800-636-8686. In 20 minutes, we talk football with Bob Glauber of New York Newsday. Straight ahead. More on the passing of a broadcast legend of Vince Scully, plus a little bit more analysis on the fallout from the most significant trade deadline deal in recent memory with the addition of Juan Soto. How dangerous could the Padres be? In the postseason, I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. Brian Weber, back with you. A lot to get to, but we'll always carve out time for your phone calls. 1-800-636-8686. Your tweets on the way. That's B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. And get those emails ready. Roman have a A couple tweets. No Cal Vic. Abs of steel. Is it being taken into account that Watson already missed all of last year, i.e., is it being treated like time already served? No, because that was completely different. That was the case that Watson did not want to play for new head coach David Culley and said to the team, I don't want to be here anymore. And they said, "Okay, you're going to be inactive 17 times. He got all that money. So you raise a good point. Whatever we see Watson again, he's coming off a year in which he did not play. But that has nothing to do with the horrendous details of this case we've been talking about. Ted and B-Dub, I also believe in conspiracy theories. In fact, I think my wife is a unicorn. Yours, Matthew Broderick. Sarah Jessica Parker smack. All right. Dear B-Webb. As a legal professional, even I think the evidence was damning and the Dolphins got off easy. Regards, Judge Lance Ito. Geoff and Lincoln, who continues to be terrible, whatever format he's using. Hypothetical. And finally, Dave the Rocket guy with a serious thought here. I don't care what the precedent is for players betting that was said a thousand years ago. Sexual misconduct should always be punished more harshly Get with the changing times, NFL, NFLPA. We spent time on this yesterday, but the audience is always changing, so it bears repeating. Calvin Ridley got a full year because that has been on the books for the NFL dating back to 1962 and prior to that. But 62 is the most famous example when the Golden Boy, Paul Horning, and Alex Karras, before he went on to be Webster's dad and Mongo in Blazing Saddles, were suspended for an entire year for betting on sports. This is the fundamental rule across all the leagues. Now, I realize the world is changing because they're all printing money due to their partnerships with gambling companies. But Ridley, on the app with the parlays, left a paper trail. There is demonstrable proof. They have the receipts, as Ritt tells me, you kids say. It's lit. For Watson, it is far more nuanced. Unfortunately, it is... He said against 24 she-says or for the purposes of the league investigation for alleged victims. Okay, a few thoughts on Vin Scully, and we're going to go in-depth roughly an hour from now. I'll tell you about the great fortune I had to spend three minutes with Vin Scully in 1993. In many ways, it changed my professional life. We lost the most unique, gifted Skilled and the greatest play-by-play announcer we've seen in sports television history. And I don't want to overlook what he did on radio. But if you're talking radio, you can talk Mel Allen or Red Barber or Graham McNamee. And this is really in my wheelhouse because I love broadcasting more than I love sports. And I love sports. But I got into sports because when I was 21 trying to become a broadcaster, no one was going to let me read the news. Hi, everybody, it's going to rain coming up. But I could do sports because sports is about energy. And in a pre-Google world, as I'm giving you Paul Hornig trivia, I knew a lot about a lot, and that was deemed impressive. And now you kids have cell phones, and I'm irrelevant. But Vin Scully's approach and his eloquence and his ability to connect with every listener, and he would say, you and I have memories of when Sandy Koufax threw that perfect game. And we're going to play some of his seminal moments coming up in the second hour of the program. We could spend three hours just playing all of the moments that stand out. There'll never be another broadcast figure like him beyond the remarkable tenure, 67 years with one organization. Thankfully, Sandy Koufax is still with us, just got a statue at Chavez Ravine. But the links to the Brooklyn Dodgers now starting to go away. But Vim was much more than that. I mentioned he had a long run in the NFL. I can close my eyes right now with Hank Stram, the 1982 NFC title game at Candlestick Park, Montana and Clark, the catch. And I'll tell you how that broadcast assignment happened because that was the year that John Madden made his debut on CBS and network executives split his assignments with Vin Scully and Pat Summerall. And the thought was, Vin was such a wordsmith Maybe Madden was not getting enough opportunities to talk, whereas Pat Summerall derived his style from Ray Scott and said virtually nothing, let it breathe, and you can't think of a better pairing than Madden and Summerall, but go back, you can watch it on YouTube. Scully and Madden were terrific as well because everything he did was almost too good. And I didn't fully realize it until I moved to California in 1987. I knew Scully as a national figure. I knew him as an alumnus of my high school. I would look at his plaque on the wall on a gray day in November, the Fordham Prep Hall of Fame, and I would say, that guy was in that building across the street. We'd moved to a new building. He got out of the Bronx. He's now in Southern California. Maybe I could do something, a scintilla of that. Mostly just because I wanted better weather. I'm just that much of a shallow person. But he could work in a Shakespeare quote, and it wouldn't seem contrived because he was that educated. But he was never talking down to you. There was a lyrical style to everything he did, and he worked alone. But it didn't feel like he was over-talking, understood to let the moment carry the broadcast the well-told story, when Hank Aaron hits home run 715, he got up and took his headset off to let the moments be captured by the crowd at Fulton County Stadium. So, there'll never be anyone like him. I think in a sad development, a young Vin Scully might be discouraged in our industry. Now, play-by-play is a different avenue. And if there's somebody that talented and that eloquent and that articulate, they'll find their way. I still believe, I don't love the term talent, but skill, along with a very serious work ethic. But if you have that innate ability, you will find your way. But the industry has changed so much that Scully might get notes now. You're talking too much. It's all about the analyst. You are using too many big words on a polysyllabic Wednesday. You're talking down to the audience. None of that was true. Because he was such a unique figure. And we'll talk more about what he meant. Not only the baseball, but all of us as sports fans coming up in the next hour of the program. I'll do 90 seconds on Juan Soto. Since I spent three hours on it yesterday. By the way, your tweets were interesting. So typically I get bashed for being anti-baseball. I'm Bob Euker, Mr. Baseball, yesterday. And you guys destroyed me. Too much baseball. It was the most substantial trade deadline, day deal we've seen in 20 years. And it happened five minutes before we went on the air. Now, yes, I got caught up in it a little bit. I'm amazed I still have any feelings left after all the years that I've been trying to meander through the industry. But the takeaways have become even more resonant beyond what I laid out yesterday. So thinking about it, driving home and driving down again today. If you're an at fan, my condolences. And you just have to at some point stop going to the games now it's not going to induce the lerner family to sell and you do have that one world series but the revolving door of harper and scherzer and turner and schwarber and now a 23 year old five tool player all going tells you exactly what you need to know about ownership beyond that good for san diego to block the dodgers the dodgers are the new evil empire and i'm a yankee fan recovering yankee fan They should not have every star. This is not Gordon Gecko and Wall Street. How many boats can you water ski behind? They already have Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner and Mookie Betts and Walker Bueller and the rest. So I'm glad San Diego blocked the Dodgers, even if they didn't get a talent like Soto, who they're going to have under team control now for three Octobers. And with the new uh, format, when it comes to the wild card, They still have an opportunity to host, and remember, it's not home at home. If they wind up as one of the top two wild cards, it's probably them and the Braves, unless the Mets fall back. They host all three games at Petco Park with Soto Machado, and here comes Fernando Tatis Jr. getting close to coming back from the broken wrist. So net-net, this is all positive for baseball. We have to have the ability to talk about things that aren't necessarily connected to the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers. That's all we talk about, and I'm raising my hand. You can see it through the radio if you squint. We're all guilty of being fixated on the superpowers. I'm glad ownership in San Diego is committed to changing the competitive balance in the National League, and the Nets should have done likewise a long time ago. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Room. We'll hold off on your calls, but it is an option coming up in hour number two of the program, 1-800-636-8686. Straight ahead, back to the NFL. Can Jacoby Brissett hold the Browns' offense together if Deshaun Watson is only suspended for six games? That means the league does not appeal. Plus, should the Giants be interested in Jimmy Garoppolo? We will dig deeper into all those topics when we have our conversation with Bob Glauber. NFL columnist for New York Newsday. He's the author of the terrific book, The Forgotten First. Thank you for spending part of your Wednesday with us. A lot more NFL to get to. So let's say hello to one of the best football journalists in the country, Bob Glauber, NFL columnist for New York Newsday, also co-author of a terrific book we're going to talk about in detail Bob, we're all guessing, but you have an educated opinion. Do you think the league is going to appeal to the Sean Watson suspension prior to the deadline coming up tomorrow at nine Eastern? I
1: I do think they will appeal, Brian. Um, listen, nothing is etched in stone, and and these things kind of take on a life of their own. But you know the way the NFL, I, I, I was struck by the NFL statement that okay, we you know we appreciate uh, Judge Robinson's efforts in this, and we. We acknowledge that you know she found multiple violations of the personal conduct policy, and I think Judge Robinson's argument is that well, you know Deshaun Watson, despite all of the instances that he's been alleged to have taken part in, it's a first-time offense just in terms of the penalty phase. Um, but but the NFL using the words multiple violations, I, I think that they prefer to have um, a harsher a harsher penalty, and they and they tried to negotiate that. Deshaun Watson and the NFLPA declined, and 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 here we are. So my, my sense is, yes, they will appeal, but listen, uh, I, I've learned not to say anything as 100% in these cases.
0: As for matters on the field, what do you think the outlook would be if it's a six-game suspension? We'll deal with the facts as they're currently presented. Mm -hmm. So you got Jacoby Brissett, who has a sub-500 record as a starter in the league. But if he can be a high-end game manager, lean heavily on Nick Chubb in that defense. The Browns also, as you know, statistically have the easiest schedule in the league the first six Mm -hmm. games coming up.
1: Yeah, I think all things considered, if it ends up to be a six-game suspension, um, Jacoby Brissett has kind of been in this position before, having – filled in for Andrew Luck when he surprisingly retired a couple of years ago. And Brissett, you know, he, he was trained very well in the Patriots system. And, you know, he goes all the way back, when, you know, in his roots to, to Southern Florida um, to his work with Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells is a big fan of Jacoby Brissett and has mentored him throughout his career. So I think they'd be in decent hands, and if they could come out of that uh, stretch at 500, um, they'd be in great shape from a football perspective, obviously – you know, all bets are off if that suspension is doubled or even lasts the entire year.
0: I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. We're talking football with Bob Glover, NFL columnist, New York Newsday, also the co-author along with Keyshawn Johnson of a book you definitely should check out, The Forgotten First, and there'll be a tie-in to the Hall of Fame ceremonies coming up this weekend in Canton, Ohio. So, Bob, I was on the air yesterday when the league announced the sanctions against the Dolphins for tampering, So I was processing everything and reading the statements, and I thought about it some more. Let's try to link it to the Deshaun Watson case from this standpoint. I realize these are different investigations, different systems. But if there had been a neutral, independent arbiter, let's say Judge Sue Robinson had been tasked with overseeing the Dolphins investigation. Based on what the league is admitting, And the comments that may have been misconstrued, that seems to be their explanation from Stephen Ross, couldn't a fair-minded person come up with the conclusion that Stephen Ross was looking for his team to tank?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I think we're talking about, you know, shades of reality Mm -hmm. here, Brian. And, uh, you know, the inference was pretty clear. And, you know, good, good on Brian Flores for basically rejecting any insinuation that it's better to tank and get a better draft position um, than to play competitively. And they did play competitively uh, in the second half of that season, and that was that was a fine coaching job by Brian Flores. You know, I, I'm, I'm struck by, listen, you know, it, it is just a suspension of an owner, which is rare. Um, it is the removal of two high draft pick picks, which is, you know, not entirely rare, but, you know, it happens. Uh, but I, I thought Stephen Ross and the Dolphins kind of got away a little bit easy on this one, because you're talking about multiple instances of tampering with the greatest player in the history of the NFL. Um, you know, and it's it's not like uh, the the Patriots weren't guilty of that way way mm-hmm. back when with Bill Parcells and the, uh, Bill Belichick and the Jets, but you know that was that was flagrant, and he, and he did it when Tom Brady was a member of the Bucs as well. So I, I think you know Stephen Ross came out kind of kicking and screaming in his statement yesterday he disagrees with the findings but uh, maybe behind closed doors he's like all right listen I I did it multiple times Um, (laughs) I'll I'll take it and 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 we're off Um, I'll be back in October and and you know there we go
0: Bob I want to save time for your book because it's such an important subject first if I can have a concise answer you know the Giants as well as anybody you've been covering that team for decades would Jimmy Garoppolo to the Giants make sense to you
1: No, it it wouldn't, only because I think the Giants want to get a definitive 1,000% answer on Daniel Jones. You know, they've they've gotten this far, and Jones has kind of gotten better in the last couple of practices. So I I would say I would highly doubt um, a Garoppolo trade, but if their level of desperation is such that they feel that, you know, Daniel Jones is not going to get it done, they do that, but I, I would... I would say no at this point.
0: Okay, and let's use our remaining two minutes to talk about your terrific book I Enjoyed It Thoroughly, you and Keyshawn Johnson, taking us into a very important chapter in NFL history. Forgotten First, everyone should check it out. Tell us what's going on this weekend in Canton, Ohio.
1: Well, the four players we wrote about, and this is basically looking at the Jackie Robinsons of pro football. Everyone knows Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball in 1947. Well, it was a year before that that the color barrier in the nfl was broken permanently and there had been a ban on black players for 12 seasons before that and this literally is a forgotten story in pro sports and 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 four players uh Kenny Washington and Woody Strode with the rams and Bill Willis and Marion Motley with the cleveland browns broke the color barrier in 1946 and went through a lot of the same things that Jackie Robinson uh went through and this weekend, Brian, the Hall of Fame is honoring all four men posthumously with the uh, Ralph Hay Pioneer Award at the at the Gold Jacket Dinner on Friday, and then they will be honored again at the Enshrinement Ceremony Saturday. Highly meaningful uh, honor here. Um, Keyshawn and I could not be you know more thrilled to see these guys get recognition for one of the most important cultural and sports developments um, in in history that has
0: just been overlooked. That is outstanding news. Congratulations again on the book. Bob, I always enjoy our time together. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on CBS Sports Radio.
1: Much appreciated, Brian. Have a great time.
0: Bob Glover, been covering the league for decades, New York Newsday. So let's take the Giants off the Jimmy Garoppolo menu. I brought it up because... Every team now is being linked to Garoppolo, every team that might need a quarterback. But Bob said it well. Unless the Giants have already decided they're moving on from Daniel Jones, and I think they're going to give him a window this year, bringing in Brian Dable. And here's the argument. Well, Brian Dable coached up Josh Allen. Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. Daniel Jones is a guy. Dave Gettleman thought he was Peyton Manning and Johnny Unitas put together. That's why Dave is enjoying plenty of free time now. We're going to talk about Garoppolo coming up in the final hour of the program. Logical landing spots, but I don't think anything is going to happen, barring a Teddy Bridgewater situation uh, six years ago with a starter going down in camp. Other than that, I think we get to the end of the month. Garoppolo is released, and then we'll talk Seattle, Houston. He's going to be just fine. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome, here on CBS Sports Radio. Good night.